No matter how progressive we get, no matter how far we have come as a country, as a society, no matter how much we've changed or recognized or accepted, there continues to be the stigma surrounding the strong masculine presence. Fifty years ago, it was nearly unheard of to have stay-at-home fathers, or women whose careers were, quote, superior to a man's, either in terms of income or societal status. The image of familial perfection, those flashes of happiness in blender commercials or station wagon advertisements, featured business-suited men, briefcases in hand, towering over apron-clad wives, watching their 2.5 cloned offspring run around on a manicured lawn, while a white picket fence kept the dangers of the world at bay. It was, in some ways, insulting, emasculating, for a man to be less successful, or less financially secure than his wife. Even those women who had jobs often left them after the first child was born. The man was the head of the household, the head of the family. This, of course, meant that weakness, even perceived weakness, was unacceptable. Cracks could not be visible. Everything was to be kept inside, not only to the world, but also to your family. While we've progressed as a culture, with gender roles mutating and becoming fluid, the image of the strong, unbreakable man is essentially, whether we like it or not, here to stay. Sure, you can mimic films like Mr. Mom and stay at home with the kids while your wife heads off to tackle corporate America, but even if you feel overwhelmed, the notion of breaking down, of crying, is still frowned upon. The physical roles might be fluid, but the emotional counterparts are still very much rooted in archaic stereotypes. Men, at least at face value, are not allowed to feel, because doing so allows an element of vulnerability into their image, and vulnerability is reserved for women and children, right? This may be why we rarely see men in the role of the, quote, hysterical partner in horror movies. Men must remain rational, efficient, the glue that keeps everything together, the one with the correct tools to fix any problems that might arise. Rarely does a haunted house tale have men feeling the sensations. They aren't allowed to feel their feels. This could be a product of those predetermined gender roles. The man goes off to work, while the woman stays home with the kids, allowing whatever haunting the halls to haunt her as well. Is this a simple product of exposure? The longer one spends in an infected space, the more in touch they become with the possibility of the supernatural? But how often do we see a man trying to convince the woman that he feels something? That, yes, it might sound crazy, but he believes the house is haunted. Honestly, I cannot think of any solid example right now. So, what happens if you are that man? What if you feel the hairs on your neck rise? What if you see something out of the corner of your eye?
what happens, whether or not you can prove it, when you honestly believe your house is haunted? Do you try and convince others, namely your partner, and risk being perceived as unhinged, weak, vulnerable? Or do you keep it all inside, locked up, like every other emotion? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Dennis Coleman was in a tough spot. Very tough. First off, he believed his wife. Everything Kate had experienced could have been chalked up to stress and dreams and exhaustion, but deep down, Denny knew there was more to it. As she related to him the scene that she experienced in the basement, his own mind conjured up images that he'd imagined or actually seen. He wasn't sure himself. More than once, he saw things in the basement or around the house. Things were the only descriptor his mind could produce. Not human, not alien. Maybe paranormal, maybe a trick of the light. Normally, Denny was great about explaining away by blaming pipes or temperature changes or lack of sleep. But it wasn't what he may or may not have seen, but rather how it made him feel. Cold. Alone. Physically cold, yes. But it was deeper than that. Like that old adage, chilled to the bone. But emotional, as if any joy or hope was suddenly leached not only from the basement in which he stood, but from the very marrow that kept him alive. Even with Kate and his parents somewhere in the house, they would still feel miles away. In those moments, he was at the bottom of an illusory well, trapped with a presence that both wanted him gone and yet close at hand, an amalgam of both hatred and obsession at once. No amount of screaming or begging to be rescued would have helped. So, he kept quiet. Drinking helped, numbed whatever emotional part of him was being attacked, but mostly he relied on the same tactic he always used to deal with anxiety or fear. Humor. Just like he'd gotten bullies to leave him alone as a kid, or to deal with the abandonment issues associated with his own father's ancient alcoholism, Denny made jokes. It was easier to laugh it off, turn it around on himself or others, than it was to let the fear take hold. He'd seen Ghost Denny too. How fucked up is that? Even months into the whole situation, he was still having a hard time explaining away seeing himself out of the corner of his eye, disappearing around corners or downstairs. Once, while brushing his teeth, the man staring back at him wasn't his reflection. The beard, 
the thick glasses, the dark circles under his eyes. Those were all Denny. But the mouth. The mouth was curled into a knowing smile. When the real Denny's mouth was doing anything but. Fight or flight were the first two choices. Either run from the mirror or smash it. Denny chose neither. Instead, he flipped off the bathroom light, crawled into the bed between his sleeping wife and dogs, and kept his back to the bathroom door until the sun came up. The worst he'd experienced up to that point was the night of the fridge. Once the appliance was in the kitchen, battered and bruised, he'd gone down to the basement, taking the bottle of whiskey with him. Then he had sat on a pile of two-by-fours, smoking and listening. He heard the sounds of the girl's nails clicking on the floor, and Kate's slight footsteps padding from the bathroom to the bed. He heard the groan of the bed frame as his family settled in, and then it was quiet. Until his parents got back. There were two sets of footsteps then, one heading for the spare bedroom, while the other headed into the backyard. Then he listened to his father walk down the back steps, then open the door. Why are you sitting here in the dark, Den? The motion lights just went out, Denny had told him, though they'd been off about a half hour. He'd been able to fumble around with cigarettes and lighter with the help of the moonlight streaming in the single window. You got the fridge inside, Barry said. I did, Denny said. And then... I'm sorry, I was just so irritated. I know you were. Forget it. Still, Denny said, and was about to go on, but realized he had no idea what else to say. It's in the past now, his father said. But the drinking probably won't help much right now. Denny felt rage grow, wanting to point out that it never seemed to help when he was a kid either. When his dad finished off a bottle of vodka and passed out in the garage listening to old classic rock. Barry had been sober for going on 20 years, pretty much since Denny had left home. And with each passing year, his father's memory of just how bad it could get faded more and more. In that moment, Denny wanted nothing more than to point out that hypocrisy. But what good would it have done? Instead, he said simply, Yeah, you're probably right. Barry turned to go upstairs and said, Don't stay down here all night. Cold in here. And damp. You'll catch one of those summer colds. Before he left the basement himself, Denny listened to his father's footsteps as he went to the kitchen, probably to get coffee set up for the morning, then to join Joan in their room. When all was quiet, Denny crept upstairs, stripped down to his boxers, and eased into his bed careful not to scare the dogs awake and have them jump all over Kate. He needed to sleep it off and talk to Kate in the morning to make his apologies. With his back to both the door to the bathroom, he'd taken to sleeping that way since his run-in with the mirror, as well as the door to the hallway. Denny was nearly overcome with sleep when he felt the air change, like a sudden downdraft. He knew they weren't alone. As much as he didn't want to, Denny forced himself to turn over. This was his house. He was the man. He needed to act like one. 
His father stood in the doorway. At least Denny thought it was Barry. In the soft glow of the nightlight, plugged in halfway down the hall, the silhouette was taller than Kate or his mom, so it had to be his dad, right? Pops? You okay? Denny whispered. The figure stood motionless. Next to Denny, Kate and the dog slept on, their individual snoring linking together into a single monotonous drone. Dad? Denny whispered again. Again, no response. And then it dawned on him. Maybe this wasn't his father at all. Maybe someone had broken in. The neighborhood wasn't in the worst area of the city, but it was far from the safety of a gated community. An intruder, a burglar or the like, getting inside was certainly well within the realm of possibility. And in that moment, Denny kicked himself for not checking the alarm system before he came to bed. He wondered if anyone else had thought to turn it on. All the while, the shadowed figure was rigid in the doorway. Though Denny couldn't make out facial features, he knew that he was being stared at, sized up, assessed. He felt a surge, and his breath caught in his throat. He was not sober enough for this. But something about the situation made Denny realize that even if he had been clean for years, he still wouldn't be ready for what stood before him. The Colemans had guns. Two of them. A tiny twenty-two pistol and a pump-action 12-gauge shotgun, both of which were on top of one of their high record shelves in the parlor. He'd meant to move them to under his side of the bed in case of this very situation, but still hadn't gotten around to it. Who, or whatever stood in the hallway, blocked the only pathway to these instruments of protection. Damning his own procrastination, Denny said in a half-whisper, Who are you? The shadow moved then, turning its head enough that the nightlight hit a face. It was Barry, and he walked back down the hall, out of sight. Dad? Denny hustled out of the bed and tiptoed down the hall, and into the parlor. He could hear movement in the kitchen, and as Denny passed the record shelf, and his mind screamed at him to reach up and grab the shotgun, he didn't. The gun wasn't loaded. Denny kept the shells in a nearby drawer, but he figured the sound of cocking the weapon would be enough to scare off the intruders. But instead, he kept walking. It was just his dad. There was no need for a gun. Maybe he's sleepwalking again, Denny thought. Joan had talked a few times about Barry's sleepwalking early in their relationship. It was really bad after Vietnam, and for the first five or so years of their marriage, Sometimes she'd find him in the closet or out in the backyard of their house. Once she found him in the trunk of their car. The sleepwalking faded after Denny was born. Could have been worse, Joan had said. She'd heard horror stories about other Vietnam vets choking their wives or brandishing knives, all while asleep. Though Denny had never experienced his father, or anyone, during a sleepwalking episode, he knew what he should do. You don't wake them up. You steer them to a safe place. A rough awakening could lead to severe disorientation or panic. This was the last thing a half-drunk, half-hungover Denny wanted to have happen. 
So when he came around the corner into the kitchen, he kept tiptoeing, ready to see his zombified father wobbling on the tile floor. Instead, the scene before Denny made him freeze. He saw his mother's body first. Joan was slumped in front of the sink, two large gaping holes in the back of her head and between her shoulder blades, as if she'd been shot while doing the dishes. His father was splayed out next to her, like he'd been making a snow angel, the jagged bullet wound in his neck nearly disconnecting his head from his body. Barry's eyes, glazed and unmoving, were fixed on the spinning ceiling fan above. Blood coated the cabinets and smeared across the tile, as if the killer had been dancing around the bodies of his parents. He looked around and saw the shotgun, the one he thought about grabbing on his way in, and saw that it was resting on the kitchen table, empty casings next to the weapon and on the floor. Then he felt a sickened groan lurch in his throat, a mixture of terror, repulsion, and grief. So preoccupied with the sight of Barry and Joan, Denny didn't notice the door standing wide open, and may have completely ignored it, had it not been for the growling he could hear from the carport. Turning to look, Denny first saw two slippered feet lying across the threshold. Each slipper was fashioned to look like a cartoonish shark, and he immediately recognized these as the pair he had gotten Kate the previous Christmas. All he could manage to say was, no. The growling intensified as he approached the door, and mixed in was the sound of wrenching, chewing. Kate was face down, as if she had been trying to run out the door. Her oversized white shirt and the pale skin of her back was torn wide open from a shotgun blast. From her shoulder up, Kate's body was enveloped in shadow. As if the whole scene were shutting down the logistical processes in his mind, it took Denny a moment to realize that Kate was twitching. Involuntary muscle spasms of the recently deceased. But no, it was too rhythmic. Moving forward, careful not to step on either of Kate's shuddering slippers, Denny flipped on the carport light. The sight was, at first, too outlandish for his mind to catch up. And like his old standby, Denny's first reaction was to laugh. But his lips remained pursed. Their dogs, the rescues Kate and Denny nurtured back to health, and spent most every waking second of their days with, were playing tug-of-war with Kate's body. Roxy, biting into the soft flesh of Kate's arm, was pulling one direction, while Echo was yanking the other, while teeth clamped into her neck. Like finding them with one of his leather dress shoes, or a pair of Kate's underwear, Denny's involuntary first move was to reach down and stop them from doing any further damage then scold them with the booming dad voice once the item was removed. But as he knelt and his fingers came into range, Echo let go of Kate's neck and nipped at Denny. The pain in his fingertips was white hot, and enough that he knew some of his fingernails were gone without having to look. Echo continued to growl, Denny's blood flowing down her neck, 
and Roxy let go of her portion to join in. Each bared their bloodied teeth at Denny and began to inch toward him. Falling back onto his ass, clutching his hand, Denny kicked at Kate's legs, shoving them outside. Then, just as his Labradors made to lunge, Denny slammed the door, locking them out. He twirled and put his weight against the door, shutting his eyes tight. The dogs growled and snarled. Their nails clicked and dug at the other side of the door. Then they began barking, vicious reports that were shrill even through the metal. One or both dogs began throwing themselves at the door, the force hard enough to rattle the handle and the nearby dishes. A coffee mug fell from its hook and shattered on the counter next to Denny's head. Then, in an instant, everything stopped. The growling, the gnashing, the scratching and pounding. All Denny could hear was his own choppy breath. He could feel his chest heaving and the tips of his fingers throbbing, and he wanted nothing more than to stay there, his eyes shut tight in that silence forever. But he couldn't. He had to get up, call the police, call an ambulance. When he opened his eyes, Denny saw that he was alone. The kitchen was empty. Neither his mother's nor his father's body lay on the tile floor. The cabinets were clean, their sheen reflecting the light overhead. Ignoring the pain still lingering in his finger, Denny pushed himself to his feet and yanked open the door. The outside light was still on, but Kate wasn't there. The dogs, too, were gone. Holy shit, Denny thought. I'm hallucinating. One of his instructors once talked about drinking too much and seeing things, like random planes in the sky that no one else could see. That's it. This is alcohol psychosis. And while that was a terrifying thought, it was still better than actually finding his family dead. As he closed and relocked the door, Denny heard movement behind him. Expecting it to be Kate or his mom coming to find out what the commotion was, Denny was surprised to see Echo, sleep still blinking from her eyes. The dog stopped for a drink of water from her bowl, then went straight to Denny's right hand. She licked the fingers that still seemed to be throbbing but showed no signs of trauma. I'm losing my mind, sweetheart, Denny said to her. Echo looked up at him as if she understood what he said, but had no way of responding. Instead, she went behind him and leaned against his legs, a technique she usually used when trying to convince Denny to take her around the block. This time, however, she was leading him away from the door. She herded him through the parlor and back down the hallway. Echo didn't jump onto the bed until Denny was back under the covers. Somehow, Denny fell right asleep. In the morning, as Kate related his drunken actions, he focused on that shame. He actively worked to block the night's events from his mind, real or imagined. He was able to do just that, until after they'd gotten the old, rotting fridge to the curb and everyone had gone inside to get ready for the day. Denny was about to head back to the shower when he glanced at the kitchen table. The shotgun was sitting in the same spot from his dream, 
or his hallucination. When he picked up the weapon, he found that it had been loaded and cocked. The thing was ready to go. Just holding it seemed to make his body tremble. He rushed over, put it back atop the shelving unit, but not before taking the cartridges out. He tried convincing himself that someone else had taken it down. Like maybe his father had cleaned and loaded it, but Denny refused to ask if Barry had done so, because if he did, Denny knew he wouldn't like the answer. So he kept everything to himself. Sure, maybe this made Kate feel worse about her own mental state. But again, this is why Denny was in a horrible position. There was something going on. The situation with the dogs scratching the shit out of the floor only confirmed that he hadn't been dreaming. The thing in the mirror wasn't his reflection. There really was a ghost, Denny, wandering the dark recesses of their home. While he was glad that he wasn't simply experiencing adverse side effects from exhaustion and alcohol, now he had to deal with the notion that his house was haunted. That, in itself, was hard to say. And as much as he thought it, and truly believed it, he couldn't say it. He wouldn't say it. That was his paradox. Denny believed everything Kate was saying, knew that everything she was seeing was a part of the sinister undercurrent of the house, but he couldn't tell her that. Why? Because he was the man of the house, the man of the relationship. Women want strength and confidence. They want stability and protection. At least that's what he was taught growing up. In the movies, at school, at home, men don't succumb to fears. They don't cry. They don't panic, and they sure as fuck don't believe in ghosts. So Dennis Coleman made a choice. No matter how bad it got, no matter how afraid he got, he would keep it to himself. He would be a leader for his family. He would be strong for Kate. Denny would be a man. This episode was presented by Dr. Scarelove. Theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri. I'm still, after eight episodes, so thankful that Atrium Carcheri and Simon from Cryo Chamber Music has allowed me to use their music. Please check them out on Bandcamp. As this is a new podcast, make sure you like and subscribe, and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, because each review helps get this out to more listeners. That's all for now. Remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?